Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. What do you think of when you think of the word hope? What comes to the mind when, when you hear the word hope? Life? What else? Anticipation, yeah? Good. What else? What was that, Ken? Faith. Yeah. How do people tend to use the word hope these days? What does it mean? I mean, think about it. It's kind of, I hate to say this, it's kind of become a garbage word, right? Like, oh, I hope they'll be there when, I hope it'll still be open when I get there. Uh, I hope the package arrives today. We don't mean hope in any real sense. It's kind of wishful thinking, right? I hope this politician will do what he or she said. I hope that the election goes my way. I hope I get the job. I hope I win the lottery. It's all wishful thinking the way we use it, the way we use that word today. It's kind of become a word like love. Love has also become a garbage word, hasn't it? In some ways it can, because you're like, oh man, I love my kids. I love, I love my spouse. I love my mom and my dad. And I love this Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> and I love that movie. You're like, really? You're gonna, we're going to use the same word to talk about your love for your children as you do for, for that movie that you watched, which is like no greater than a B plus. <laughs> but you're going to say love? And hope is the same way. It's kind of this wishful thinking. I hope I get that job. I, I hope they'll say yes. I hope I can get a break tomorrow. I hope it's a snow day. It's, it's wishful thinking. And the problem with that is we, we, we use that term with Jesus and the scriptures use it, put our hope in Christ, put our hope in the Messiah, put our hope in the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I think we import our modern usage of that word hope into how we use it right now. While I hope Jesus will give me peace and I hope that he's going to help me out of this situation, I hope that he'll never leave me or forsake me and I hope that one day he returns and makes all things new and all things right and I hope that uh, I have a salvation in him. I hope that that I'm forgiven. I hope that I've been adopted into his family. And we use it in this wishful thinking kind of way. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. And oftentimes, let's be honest, we have prayed and God has been silent. Or God has said no. And we say, well, then why should we put our hope in Jesus? Why should we put all of our hopes, dreams, and desires in Jesus? Why, why do we have to trust that he is going to come through on all of his promises when I have been let down time and again? When maybe some of you here, and you are currently sitting in pain where you are asking God for help. And the pastor comes up and says, let's put all of our hopes in Jesus. And you say, that sounds nice on paper. It's nice as an abstraction, but in a reality where I'm suffering and there is pain, I don't see it. Why should we put all of our hope in Jesus? So we've turned back into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew Bible. And here, the prophet Isaiah, he has given a, a vision, he has given a prophecy about the coming Messiah that all of Israel, indeed all of the world, has been waiting for. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kick, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fat calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnants of the people of his people from Syria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. So here, Isaiah has this prophecy that one day, says the the shoot from the stump of Jesse will come. So in Isaiah's time frame, King David, the greatest king Israel has ever known, he is long gone. Israel has been divided in two. They are warring. They are fighting against each other. And there is a prophecy that one day there will be a king that comes, a forever king from the root of David. But in Isaiah's time, they're looking back and saying, well, how can this, this be? How can there possibly be hope because the tree has already been cut down? David's line is almost essentially dead. Yes, we can track the lineage, but there is no one like David. There is no king that can come. There is no one as gregarious and as wise and as powerful and as uniting as a person as David. His family tree has been chopped down and there's nothing left. And the image Isaiah gives, he says, ah, but the stump is still there. And there's a shoot growing out of it like this. One day there is going to come a forever king. Put all of your hope in him. Even though it seems like it has failed, even though it seems like all has fallen, even though it seems like, like God's plan has been thwarted, there is still hope. Messiah is coming. And that's amazing too. Kristen and I, we were on a, a podcast uh, recently together, and she said something. Usually I'll say, Something to the effect of, you know, doesn't it seem like God, like, shows up at the last minute, like, in your life? Don't you, don't you hate that? I hate that. I'm like, all right, God, I need this help financially, right? And it's like waiting, 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 waiting. Boom, last minute, ah, right? Always the last minute. It's like, why do you wait till the last minute? And Kristen pointed out something. She said, God often waits till after the last minute, <laughs> right? Where it's like, oh, the bill is past due, it's all over. He waits till the after the last minute to show up. The tree of the line of David has been chopped down. Oh, all hope is lost. And God says, yeah, I'm going to grow something. Small little sapling, but eventually that will grow into a mighty eternal oak. God often shows up after the last minute. After it's too late. And shows his power. And shows how mighty he is. 
That's the image Isaiah sees. There is a shoot from the stump of Jesse. The tree has been chopped down, but there is still hope. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon this Messiah who is coming, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of knowledge, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will know God. And this is interesting. Verse 3, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but his righteousness, by his righteousness, he shall judge the poor. If you've ever been within a court system, you have sat where a jury has delivered an absolutely wrong verdict. Or you have sat under a judge who has absolutely gotten the verdict wrong. You know, you, if you've ever sat in an amount of time, you know that you know that you know. And it's not because they're an evil person. It's because they have limited knowledge. They have to adjudicate by what they see with their eyes and what they hear with their ears and with the evidence presented before them. But they are imperfect. They will make wrong decisions. And here, the great hope of the Messiah is He will judge perfectly. Not merely by what He sees and what He hears, but by His eternal, infinite knowledge. He will know. That is a comfort for those of us who put our trust in Jesus. It is. Because we know that all of the injustice you see on this earth, Jesus will one day make right. And He will know the right decision to make. I mean, you can turn on the 24-hour news cycle and you can listen to people argue about what the right thing to do in any situation is. And we all know deep down inside, they don't know what the answer is because if they knew what the answer was, then we would have come to a resolution already and yet we're still arguing about this for decades after the fact. But King Jesus, He knows the answer. He will judge correctly and He's the only one who can judge correctly. It's not just his senses, his knowledge. He will judge. He will give judgment for the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So it doesn't matter. Jesus is not a respecter of persons. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. I mean, that's a weird image, the rod of his mouth. The rod is a, uh, a ruling scepter. In the book of Revelation, you see Jesus coming. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. What does that mean? That means Jesus, he doesn't actually have to fight. His power is in His Word. He declares it and it happens. Just as God created the heavens and the earth, He spoke it into being. And this is an incredible image that He gives us. When Messiah comes, when King Jesus comes in power, verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, the fatted calf together, the cow and the bear shall graze. Verse 8, horrifying image, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. What happens if you see a parent with their toddler and they're like, hey, play with these snakes. What are you doing? Yeah, swooping in, saving the child, stomping on the snake, calling the police. Right? Who does that? In fact, I actually looked up pictures of kids with snakes and I was going to show an image of that. And you know what? I couldn't find anything that wasn't absolutely horrifying. <laughs> so I was like, no, I'm not going to share that. Why? Because children shouldn't play, little babies shouldn't play with snakes. But the peace that Jesus the Messiah will one day bring will be so incredible that even babies will be able to play with poisonous snakes. The peace of Jesus will so fundamentally transform not just us in our hearts, but it will transform all of nature 
so that if you want to go for a bear, bear ride, you can get a saddle, put it on the bear. You can! <laughs> that is the peace that King Jesus will bring. And that is the hope that Isaiah has. And that hope, as some of you alluded to, it is not wishful thinking. It is expectation. It is understanding. It is faith. It is trusting that what God said will come to pass will come to pass. That Jesus will one day bring us this lasting peace and that there is no life apart from Christ. There is no peace away from Him. We can't find peaceful solutions until King Jesus fully comes back in power in His second coming. That is the hope. That is the vision that, that Isaiah gives us. That is why we light these candles in as, as a reminder that one day King Jesus will come again. And He will bring lasting peace. And that hope is not wishful thinking. It is not the same wishful thinking that we have for politicians. It is not the same wishful thinking we have for jobs or winning the lottery or anything like that. It is an expectation that God will make good on His Word. And one day, there will be lasting peace. There will be beauty beyond beauty. Jesus alone will bring true and lasting peace. Why should we put all of our hope in King Jesus? Because only He can bring us peace. Now, uh, imagine that you have a... Um, a need to get a car. Now, kind of where we live right now, it's kind of cool. We, we've got lots of public transportation options, so you can get around without owning a car. But if you lived 30 miles in any direction except for south, you would have trouble getting around without a car. And imagine you have a job, you need a car for the job, so you go, okay, I need a, 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 I need a car, but I can't afford a car, uh, so I'll buy a used car. That'll be cheaper, right? Yeah, buy a little bit. Have you seen the price of used cars lately? Oh, my Word! It's unreal. It's unreal. This is a used car. Someone's been in here before. It's not a new car. I'm not living in the car, right? So I could understand if that this was my whole life. But no, it's just a car to get me from point A to point B. So you need a car. But you can't afford a car. So what do you do? Well, you come across this person. They say, ah, you need a car. You're like, yeah, I need a car. Tell you what. I'm going to sell you the car part by part, bit by bit. Okay? So here. I'll, let, I'll sell you the tire first. And you're like, oh, okay. And then I'll sell you piece by piece, and then you can assemble the car yourself, right? Because it's easy to assemble a car by yourself, of course, right? So they, say, so they give you the one tire, and the nice thing about this person is they're going to help you finance the tire at 12%. How gracious of them. Is this a good way to get a car? No, it's not. You've got this tiny little piece of a car which honestly is worthless apart from the rest of the car. That's what you actually need. And if you're buying it piecemeal, trying to put it together, it's going to take you an entire lifetime. And you're never going to be able to do it. It's just absolutely impossible. That's what I think all of us do, myself included. That's what I think we so often do with our hopes. We place our hope. I hope for a better life, and so I place my hope in having the right job. I place my hope in having the right finances. I place my hope in sex. I place my hope in money. I place my hope in politicians. I place my hope in, in everything, in the, the right weather and the right, the, right, the right news anchor. I place my hope in this. I place my hope in that. And it is like us placing our hope in a tire to get us from point A to point B. It's not going to happen. 
And here, Isaiah is telling us, put your hope in the root of Jesse, in the one who is coming, in the Messiah, the forever king. If you place your hope in him, you will not be disappointed. If you place your hope in anything else, oh, if only I get married, then my life will be okay. Guess what? It won't be. Oh, if only I had kids, my life will be so much better. Ah. Children are blessing from the Lord. And they're also a lot of work. <laughs> they're worth it. They're hard. We can do this with anything. Anything. If only I had the right group of friends. If only I had the right church. If only I had this, that, that, and the other thing. Then my life will be fulfilled and complete. And here we are. We are settling for a tire. We're settling for less. When we could settle for King Jesus. And he is the Prince of peace. Oh my goodness, I'll do this. I'm like, man, I am exhausted. I just need time. I just need a break. And I'm going to sit here and watch this show, right? And you know what? I'll do that, and I'll watch the show, or I'll watch the movie, and at the end of the show, and at the end of the movie, do I feel better? Do I feel more complete? Do I feel whole? Do I feel a peace within my heart? No! And you don't either. You don't. It's not like the, the entertainment is going to somehow fulfill the peace that I need in my soul. It's not even that sleep will give me the rest that I need. There is no true rest apart from Christ. And so even though we are waiting for Christ's second coming because of his first coming, because he shed his blood on the cross for us, we can have eternal peace now. We have to ask. We have to spend time with him. And we often don't. We have this peace right now within us through the person of Jesus Christ. It is that same peace that one day when King Jesus comes back will make the wolf dwell with the lamb and the leopard lie down with the young goat. Two things with that. You're probably saying, well, wait a minute. We have not seen this ultimate peace here. What's going on? How can, we, you, know, how can you say that? He's the prince of peace and Jesus came. He died for our sins. He rose again. He ascended into heaven and... I don't see this peace. There's, there's two major wars in the, in the world right now. There's a lot of fighting between people, families even, in our own country. Gun violence is skyrocketing. What, what are you talking about, the Prince of Peace? Well, by way of metaphor, how many peaks do you see there? Highest points, how many peaks? Not a trick question. Thank you. One. I know, whenever I ask you guys questions, you're like, eh, I don't know, Pastor. I'm not trying to shame anyone. It just happens naturally. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. You guys do it to yourself. No, 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 I'm kidding again. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, there's one peak. However, however, from this perspective, there's one peak. However, if you shift the vision around a little bit, and actually the picture should be, it's, it's a little cockeyed, there's actually two peaks. But you can't see the other one behind it. That's what's happening here in the Old Testament. Often, you see only one coming of the Messiah. You'd see one coming of the Messiah, and you're like, okay, he's coming, and he's coming to, to make the lion and the lamb lie down in peace together. That's, that's what the Messiah is going to do. However, what, what many first century Jewish people, 
theologians failed to see was that there was two peaks. He's coming once, but then he is coming again. His first coming has come to make peace between humanity and God, to make it so that we can have a right relationship with God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And then his second coming is his ultimate coming when he comes in power and finally makes the new heaven and the new earth and the way things ought to be, not the way they currently are. That is where he comes to bring ultimate peace. That is when he comes and judges the righteous and the unrighteous. That is when he comes and separates the sheep from the goat. And that is what we are waiting for. And so there are two peaks that we can't see. In fact, ancient Jewish scholars, they would look at the prophecies about the Messiah. And some, before Jesus came, they thought that maybe there was two Messiahs. Because they said, well, on the one hand, we see this suffering Messiah who lays down his life for his people. But then we see this triumphant king Messiah come and rule with power and glory and peace forever. And they couldn't understand how they both worked. Well, that's because there's two peaks. There's two comings of Christ. He's come once so that we can have a right relationship with him. But he promises that he will come again. While we still live in this world, tainted with sin, and when he comes again, he will bring his glory, he will bring his goodness, he will bring his peace. That's why we have a hard time. The the other issue that you might say is like, well, wait a minute. You know, Jesus has come. He's the Prince of Peace, but I still have problems in my life. I still have difficulties. I still have hardships. My life is still difficult. And yes, Jesus promised us Until he comes again in this world, he said, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But you're like, wait a minute, Prince of Peace, I follow Jesus. Why is my life still hard? Um, Let me ask you a question. I have a stool here, which is bigger, the stool, or this quarter, which is bigger. Stool, obviously. No, totally wrong. Look. If I just go like this, and I'm like, all right, look, they're about the same size. (gasps) The quarter is bigger. Oh, my goodness, it's bigger. In fact, which is bigger, my hand or you as a person? You. No. Anyone ever do this as a kid outside the, the school bus? Right? It's perspective. It's perspective, and I can make this look larger than the sun itself. I hold it close enough to my face. Here's what I do all the time in my life, and here's what I suspect many of us do too. Our problems and our difficulties come at us, and they are big, and they are significant, and they're right in front of our face. But I forget to turn my eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Because Jesus did say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So if I'm looking at the sun, which you shouldn't do, you know, without special, you know, shaded 15, 10 classes. If I'm looking at the sun with this quarter up to my face, I'm like, oh, look at my problems, they're so huge. But if I just do this, or even this, and I put things into perspective, I say, yeah, the sun is further away from me, And yet it's bigger, it's more powerful, and it's far more significant than this quarter ever shall be. 
turn our eyes to Jesus in the midst of our problems. It doesn't say that the problem goes away. It doesn't mean that we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that we don't have hardship. It doesn't mean that we don't shed tears. It doesn't mean that we don't cry out to God for help and for relief. And we don't lean on our brothers and sisters for help when we are suffering. What it does mean is that in the midst of our misery, in the midst of our hardship, we choose to say, I'm going to focus on Christ. I'm going to have my hopeful expectation that one day this pain that I'm feeling, he will make up to me. One day my current misery is nothing compared to the future glory that I have in Christ Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Focus on him. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. And when he comes to those who have trusted in him, life will You know, one of the incredible things, a few years ago, there was a survey done among Christians. 40%, 40% of believers in Christ, in America, said that they feared the second coming of Jesus. That is our hope. And I know why, because there's a lot of popular level novels which, you know, I'm not, I'm not dogging on them too much, but they're just like, man, it's crazy. And like, the ground opens up and then they torture you and beheaded. Right? I remember growing up and like reading some of this stuff and I'm like, oh my goodness. And everyone's like, man, I hope I'm gone before all this happens. And I'm a little bit of a weirdo if you haven't noticed yet. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of want to be around to see what happens, you know? Like, that'd be neat. But you know what? The reality is when Jesus comes, it'll be like a thief in the night. None of us will know that, we're, we're, that he's about to come when he's coming. We might be at that moment right now. I mean, look at everything that's prophesied in Revelation and look at everything that's happening in the world. There are more, there's more persecution of Christians. There is more uh, martyrdom of Christians, murders of Christians that are happening in the world now than at any other time in human history. Jesus could come tomorrow. He'd come right now. The cry of our heart as Christians isn't like, oh no, I hope he doesn't come. But the cry of our heart is, come Lord Jesus, come. Come and fix this world. Come and redeem all things. Come and bring justice into the world. Jesus, come now. And the fact that 40% of us are fearful of it means that I think Satan has totally twisted our minds into being fearful of our Lord and Savior, the King of kings, the prince of peace, the one who will come make all things new, that we're afraid of, of, of his second coming. No, we can't, be, we can't be like that. We have to focus on Christ more so than our problems. Why should we put all of our hope in Jesus? We should put all of our hope in Jesus because he is the only one who will bring lasting peace, not just inside our hearts, but into the world around us. He is the one. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Kids love Christmas, I'm told. Do you remember being a kid, like getting ready for Christmas? How long did the month of December seem to take to pass? Like it was a thousand years, it, it was forever. And I remember, I, I went to some family gathering and there was a great, great aunt there. And, you know, we're running around and everything. It's like the beginning of December. I'm just like, man, Christmas is never going to come. And this wise, great, great aunt, she, uh, she said, let me tell you something. The older you are, the 
faster it goes. And as a kid, I'm like, no, it's not true. Oh my goodness, it is true, isn't it? It is so true. Do you guys realize Christmas is a week away? Stress level goes up. <laughs> Which in adult time means it's tomorrow. It's unreal how fast time moves. The older you get, the faster it goes. In my brain, Christmas was three months ago. How is it here again? But kids have so much expectation for that Christmas. They have so much expectation for Christmas morning. Put, put aside the materialism and all those you know, concerns. Kids are so excited for Christmas more than anything else. And you know what? This Christmas, the next seven days, find a kid in your life that you can watch and ask them how excited are you and listen to them. And they'll just go on and on and on and on and on and on. And, on. and you know what? Ask God that you have that same excitement for the coming of King Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Ask him to have that same level of excitement because honestly, I think that excitement that they have, that, that anticipation, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, it's coming, come on, come on, when will it come? That's the same anticipation we should have for King Jesus. And you know what? None of our kids in this room are thinking like, well, maybe Christmas isn't going to come this year. Congress is going to mess it up and pass legislation. Our parents will forget. No kid in this room is thinking that Christmas isn't coming on December 25th. They all know it's coming. We need to have that same level of excitement, that anticipation, that hope. Not, well, I hope Christmas comes this year. I hope Christmas comes this year. I hope the sun rises tomorrow. I hope the sun rises tomorrow. I know the sun is going to rise tomorrow. I know Christmas is coming. And I know one day King Jesus is going to come and he is going to make all things right. I know that King Jesus is going to come and he will bring lasting peace and answers where none of us have answers. I think the problem that so many of us run into is we put our hope in lesser things. We put our hope in politicians. We put our hope in, in sex. We put our hope in relationships. We put our hope in money. We put our hope in a sports team thinking that they will fulfill all of our needs and desires. And they never do. Don't focus on the small, tiny things. Yes, they're there. Yes, we have to work through them. Yes, they hurt. Yes, they're difficult. But choose to turn your eyes on Jesus. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for a tire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, this season of Advent where we are filled with anticipation. I pray, Father, that you fill us with that anticipation we see in the children running around. They, are, they will literally shake with excitement. The excitement they have for December 25th is palatable. They, it is physical. It is raw. It is emotional. And Father, that is the excitement we need to have for the coming of King Jesus. Yes, he came, and yes, he made us new creatures, transformed through the blood of Jesus Christ, declared righteous, having a right relationship with you, Father, adopted into your family through the blood of Jesus. And we are so thankful for that, and yet he did not leave us here saying that's it. He ascended into heaven and says, but wait, there's more. And while we wait for him, Father, I pray the cry of our hearts is, come, Lord Jesus, come. The cry of our hearts is like the children on 
Christmas Eve. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, I pray for us right now. I pray for those who are weary and they're hurting and they're filled with pain. As they work through the pain and those, those issues that they're dealing with, I pray that they will also spend time focused on King Jesus. And as they do, his peace will fill them. Even if the situation and the pain isn't taken away, but the peace of Christ will overcome them. Father, I pray for us, lowly individuals as we all might be, that you have raised up and placed in the heavenlies because of King Jesus. I pray that we might be filled with your expectation that King Jesus will come and bring peace once and for all. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbctarrytown.org.